0: with me to the book of Revelation, find that at the end of the Bible, last book, and we're going to, uh, this morning we're still going to be uh, introducing, so uh, we'll be in this first chapter and um, what I want to do is I'm going to read the section that we covered last week and then. This week's passage as well, all the way down through verse 8. So Revelation, and remember, uh, it's not Revelations, it's Revelation, John's Revelation. the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's begin in chapter 1, verse 1. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, And take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve His God and Father, to Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. That's the end of the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we want to come before You this morning, and we want to ask as we come to Your Word, as we look into it, that our meditations on it and the words of my lips concerning it would be acceptable in Your sight. And Father, we pray that You would, for us, dispel the mystery surrounding this book, let us see and know and understand what it is that you would have for us here, now, living in the twenty first century. And do it all for your glory and for the good of your people. Amen. So as we introduce again um, kind of the uh the idea of what's going on here in the book of Revelation, I want to remind you a little bit of what we talked about last week, and um, and remember, one of the things that we said is uh, that the book of Revelation, the letter was is given. the The purpose of it is stated right there in those first three verses, and that is to reveal. And we noted last week that for for too long, probably, and for many of us, uh, the book has seemed something of a puzzle. Um, more mysterious uh, and more of a a veil than of a revelation and um, and for much of my life anyways i have have uh, always come to the book and found it to be um, mysterious as opposed to in, in, uh, informative in my life if you but as we think about the letter we talked about this last week we have John, who has been exiled, um, and he is on the island of Patmos. So if you were to look at Greece coming down and then Turkey off to its east, the island of Patmos is just off of um, the western coast of Turkey. There's a lot of little islands out there, and the island of Patmos is is right there. If you drew a line... Uh, due east and up just a little bit, you would be straight in Ephesus. John had pastored in Ephesus, so he knew that area well. And one of the things that we noted is that John is writing this letter not to some distant, faraway land uh, 2,000 years later, per se, necessarily, Um, Is it for us? Yes, but it had an original audience, and that original audience, as we're going to see here in just a few minutes, is the seven churches of Asia Minor. Now, there were more churches than seven in Asia Minor, um, but those seven are particularly called out um, probably in an effort one. To line up with one of the, the numerical themes of the Book of Revelation, which is the number seven, which lines up with the creation, and um, and puts the Book of Revelation squarely in um, in line with all of the rest of Scripture. And so, these seven churches have been picked, and uh, in, in a few weeks, Marion and I are going to preach through each of those churches because there is a message for each of them now as a as a letter, it's intended for those churches. so Jesus knows those churches, He has a message for those churches, and we're going to look at that. But one of the things that you'll see is those seven churches form what we might call a composite for us. They represent the churches, and the issues that they deal with are the issues that many other churches and those in Asia and, 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 and uh, Rome would have all, th- those churches would have all been dealing in one form or fashion with the same thing. And so, as a composite, that is how we can come to the book of Revelation today and it have anything for us. So, John wrote it originally for those churches. And um, if you were to look at a map of, of uh, Western Turkey, um, Asia Minor, if you if you look at a map and you probably have one in the in the back of your bibles you'll see that John begins by writing to the church in Ephesus and then the churches are listed counterclockwise and if you look at the map you'll see that he's intending to call those churches out that's probably the route that the letter would have taken as it would have been you know traveled and and made its way, and then it would have been read aloud. And this is one of the things that we talked about last week. You would have gathered and assembled, and um, it's interesting as you you look at the passage that we have today in verse 4, John doesn't go into any great identification about who he is, because they knew who John was. So he just says, John, he introduces himself, right? This is coming from me. I am the one writing this to you this is the vision the revelation the apocalypse that has been given to me and i am going to share it with you and so that letter would have gone to those churches and they would have stood and they would have read it aloud and you as a congregation would have come and listened as that letter was read aloud now you would have had the benefit of charts and graphs and and uh, you 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 couldn't have uh, cross-referenced this in your Greek Bible, and you couldn't have opened up five different translations and looked at it. You would have heard it, read aloud. And what does John tell us in these uh, opening verses, the first three verses there? Blessed is the one who reads, and blessed are those who hear the Word. It was intended to be a blessing, not to be a mystery, not to scare the wits out of you, but to inform you. And this morning, as we look at the, that next section, verses 4 to 8, what I want you to see, two primary things, is that John really gives us in that section two things that would, will help us as we work our way through the book. It will aid us in understanding the book as a whole. Here's the first thing. And we talked about this last week, but you will really begin seeing it here in this prologue. And that is that the central the central and the centering image of the book of Revelation is Jesus. The central and the centering image of the book. It is it is it it, it is what is constantly pulling us back to So if if you find yourself uh, struggling in the book as you're maybe perhaps reading your way through it, if if you start getting caught up in in images and all of those things, just remember that the centering image of the entire book is Jesus Christ himself, the Lamb slain but who lives. That is the centering image, Uh, that is what we are intended to always be brought back to because And the the title of Dr. Johnson's book, which some of you have picked up, and there are a few remaining copies in the office if you're interested in picking one up, right? The title of his book is The Triumph of the Lamb. That's the centering image of the entire letter of Revelation. And the idea there is that no matter where you're at, no matter what is happening in your life, and John is writing to churches who are struggling under Roman rule, Roman oppression. They were being asked to worship the emperor. Um, They were struggling with assimilating into society. When that happens for a church, there, there are a number of things that can happen. They can become completely isolated from society, having no impact. Well, that doesn't look like the salt and light that Jesus talked about. Or they can become too enmeshed in society. One of the challenges that is addressed in Some of the letters to these churches that we'll be preaching through. Those are some of the challenges that they were facing. And so this letter is given to them. And Jesus, as the the centering image, all of that intended to be a great encouragement to them. It's always right there behind the scenes, if you will. Right here in this opening section we see John laying that out for us. The slain lamb at the center of it all. Here, John holds Jesus up. He says, grace and peace from God the Father, God the Spirit. Okay? He says, grace and peace to you from Him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before His throne. Now, there you go. Oh, oh okay. That's... that's uh, The first image that perhaps catches us a little off guard. Dr. Johnson talked about this, that that's really just a picture, it's a representation, if you will, of the Spirit, sevenfold in His fullness, complete. And So we have God the Father, we have God the Spirit. Normally, the way that we would expect that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, but they're flipped a little bit. And then the final image is that of the Son. And the Son, Jesus Christ, John tells us, is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now that's an interesting way for John to set this up. He is instructing us about Jesus the center of the book, the one who is he gives us some information about who this Jesus is now you're saying well I I know who Jesus is okay but think about John addressing the church. they're in oppression, they're struggling uh, you, you know they're 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 dealing with how to interact with society, how to deal with With Rome, all of these things are going on. What does John hold up to them? In the end, what John holds up to them is a picture of the lamb slain. And what he is saying to them is, don't forget who's in control. Don't forget who is standing behind all of this. Don't forget about what is happening. And so, remember, part of what is happening here is that the curtain is being pulled back. And we get a picture of what has and is taking place behind the scenes with respect to this cosmic display of God's power. He is in control. And what he wants is for this church that is being persecuted, this church that is living in a hostile world, to understand, don't worry, the slain lamb who lives has got it covered. And that was to be the encouragement for them. And so here he tells us these he gives these three aspects of Jesus, right? He describes Jesus as the faithful witness. That word witness is going to show up time and time again in the book of Revelation. These people are witnesses that we are going to encounter. They're living in in the church. They are undergoing persecution. All of those things. And so Jesus is held up as the what? Faithful witness. He is the one who went through persecution. He is the one that was nailed to the cross. He is the one that died that first death and then experienced resurrection and new life. And so he's described as the faithful witness, directing their attention to the one. Then he's described as the firstborn from the dead. Christians in that day and age had already undergone persecution and died and were in the midst of persecution and would die and in the future would undergo persecution and would die. Remember, when Jesus was with his disciples and he said this to them, remember, if they If they hate you, they hated me first. Okay? He he was preparing them for the fact that they were going into a, a world not altogether friendly to them. Here's an aspect of this that I want you to think about. We read this letter today, 2017, in the United States of America. We're gathering in a beautiful location. You, you will leave here. You won't think one thing about someone trying to lop your head off as you're headed home or you go out to eat. You will enjoy a beautiful afternoon. You, you may go sit down by the lake. You have no fear today of persecution. If you were reading this letter 30 years ago behind the Iron Curtain in the former Soviet Union, that could not have been said. If you were reading this letter today in Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Somalia, China, North Korea, any other number of nations, the way that you would hear the letter would be entirely different than the way you hear the letter here. Does that make sense? Because there is a large swath of the church under tremendous pressure today. And so the way your situation, my situation, the the situation in which we find ourselves, it, it, it changes the way in which we hear John's words. So think about his church, the churches that he is preaching to. They hear, they're reminded, look, remember Jesus, right? Grace and peace to you from the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. That's a tremendous image, right? Jesus died as the Son of God. He was the faithful witness who died, who offered His life. He was, if you will, the first martyr. And He lives. And He he doesn't just live. He rules and He reigns. And those who are in Him will rule with Him one day. Well, that's a tremendous encouragement in the midst of perhaps giving your life for your faith. So Jesus, as John lays him out for us, is the first faithful witness to God's triumphant plan. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, remember, his disciples left the scene, and they hid. Because they feared that that was the end. It was all over. And yet, in his resurrection, they saw him triumphant as he came and appeared to them. They had now new hope, a newfound hope. They couldn't believe it. And they were, they were set aflame. And out of that resurrection, those men turned the world Upside down. And it is that same Jesus that is being held out by John, the beloved, one of the inner circle, right? He knew Jesus. He had lived with Jesus. And he holds that Jesus out now to the seven churches and the churches down through the ages, even to us. What does he tell us next? He tells us that he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, for us, not such a big deal. Okay. We live and move. We have freedom. We elect our leaders. We have this beautiful exchange that takes place where where the outgoing leader stands and watches the new leader swear in. And and the allegiance is to the Constitution, which rules and governs and directs our country. And there's order and there's symmetry and, and there are equal branches of government. And it all works together beautifully. And you're all perfectly happy with the outcome. Not always. But it's, it's relatively in the world, it's an unheard of. And the world in which they lived, and a world in which uh, the Nero's and, uh, and the uh, other rulers came along and took Christians and, and put them on stakes and rolled them in tar and lit them for their parades, and that kind of a world, to know that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth, That's power. That's significance. That's life changing. That's even though things are rough, I know he has it all in his hands. Even though I know I I am living under a guy who at any moment could just decide, do away with them all. And yet, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. It's a powerful image that John lays out for us. But he goes on. He, he doesn't just stop there. That's, that's really big and large stuff. But to a degree, there's some separation between you and the rulers, the one who rules the kings of the earth. He, he then gets a little more personal. Notice what he says next, right? So there is that Jesus, the ruler of the kings of the earth. What does he say next? He says, to him who loves us. And has freed us from our sins by His blood. Ah, now you're down at the personal level. So this Jesus, the faithful witness, the one who is the firstborn from among the dead, the one who rules the kings of the earth, what is your relationship to Him? He loves you. He loves you. Let that sink in. Because in just a couple of weeks, we're going to start reading about those churches. The churches that John's writing to. And you want to know something that you're going to find? There's only one of those churches that Jesus doesn't have to do a little bit of this to. The rest of them all had issues. The rest of them all had problems. Lots of problems. Lots of issues. And John is writing to them. And they are messed up, jacked up, royally screwed up. And you know what he says to them? He knows you there's an image that Marian's going to preach on next week of Jesus moving amongst the lampstands. And and the image is Jesus is amongst His people, the church. And John is saying to that group and to us, He knows you and He loves you. To Him who loves you and has freed you from your sins. Right. Who's given his blood. He has made the sacrifice. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. And then here's the next. Tri- I mean, just consider that. When Jody and I were. She's not here. <laughs> um, so don't kids, don't you go home and tell. He's <laughs> back there taking a deep breath. <gasps> oh, man. No it's all good when jody before Jody and I started dating, Jody and I knew each other and um, and I knew that Jody was this beautiful young lady, and she was smart and she was funny and um, and I, there were no downside, no negatives okay um, but one of my first interactions with Jody was on a bus on a college trip. Um, with our college ministry, down to it was Panama City or one of those places they had the uh, they had a Christian camp thing, and so we were going down there for this retreat and I get car sick all right quite easily like like occasionally I'll make myself car sick even if I'm driving that kind of car sick and so I'm sitting in the back of the bus and Jody's in the seat in front of me, and I'm getting. Queasy, and I made a big to-do about it, such that she was really turned off, and uh, and probably didn't want anything to do with me. And so she knew about me, in a manner of speaking. She knew kind of who I was, you know, and I didn't have it all together and all that sort of stuff. And and but some months later, a year or so later. Um, I was able to charm her and win her over. But she knew. She knew things about me that weren't particularly things that you would go, that's what I love about him. in in, In a way, in a much more significant way, Jesus knows you. He knew the church. John tells them, listen, he loves you. Are there things he wants you to work on in your life? Does he want you to pursue holiness? Absolutely. But he loves you. He died for you. He came down and he purchased you for the Father. That's love. Um, If you were to take Jim Hildebrand's class, you'll get an extra special dose of that kind of theology. Jesus came down and offered himself to purchase you for the Father. That's why he came, to redeem you, to buy you back, to go to the market. And listen, as you're there in the market, you're not looking real pretty. And yet he loves you, he sets his love on you. And that's what John is saying to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. That's His work on the cross. And here is the next incredibly remarkable thing that He says, and has made us to be a kingdom of priests, to serve His God and Father. A kingdom of priests. Now, you've got to understand, that is a remarkable image. Because the priest, for many of these folks, Right? That understanding, understanding, okay, hold on, this whole priesthood thing, that was for access. The priesthood existed so that the people could have access to God. And now he's saying, you are access to God. Jesus has taken you, he has purchased you, and he has made you a kingdom of priests. You are the access to God. Direct, unfettered, unhindered You and him. It's why you can go in your closet at night and you can pray and and you have you are directly connected and you don't need me and you don't need Marion and you don't need anybody else to intercede for you because Christ is the intercession for you. That's remarkable theology. That's life changing, life altering. A kingdom of priests. He has set you loose so that you can have a personal relationship with God. No more sacrifice. No more blood. No more offerings. None of that. You have direct, unfettered, unhindered access to the Father. First century Christians battling the oppression of Rome. That's significant. 21st century Christians living life, that's significant. What comes out of that? Worship. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. Verse 6, He has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve His God and Father to him be glory and power forever and ever. John says those sorts of things are what you know this is this is doxology for John. You know, this is this is something of what the apostle Paul writes like. You know, he, he's he's kind of grinding out and then it just kind of bubbles over. How amazing, how, how, how impressive is all of this that all I can say is to Him be glory and honor forever and ever and ever and ever. And, and you are going to see that refrain multiple times because one of the things that comes up in the book of Revelation is the worship of the saints and those who are in heaven, those who have gone before us, are worshiping the Lamb. And John just moves into that. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's another aspect here, and that is that Jesus is coming. Look, He is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see Him, those who have pierced Him. Jesus is coming again. This is a refrain, obviously, in the book of Revelation. This is one of those things where, okay, now, yeah. Now we're talking, Jesus is coming back. It's a constant refrain for the believer. It was from the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven and said, you'll see me coming back exactly the way I'm going up. From then on, they were watching and waiting. And that was the encouragement to them. And Jesus had encouraged them, right? Celebrate the supper and do this until my return, until I come for you as a church. Celebrate my sacrifice because it's a picture to the world of what I've done for them and for you. And so John wraps that in with all of this. And then he says this, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come the almighty that phrase sets jesus up right as if as the beginning and the end when he says i am the alpha and the omega He's talking about the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And he's not saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. It doesn't make any sense. So he's saying, I am the beginning. I am the end. And what he means in that, that, that sort of expression is, I, am, I, I was there at creation. I will be there at the consummation, the recreation. And I am everywhere in between. It's not just the beginning and the end. It's everything in the middle. And Jesus is saying, it's mine. I'm the Lord over all of that. I am the beginning and the end. I am the everything in the middle. Here's the second thing that I want you to see, the second A that will help us. It will move a little bit quicker. We've already talked about it some. But let me just hit it again. And that is, don't forget who John is writing to, right? He's writing to first century. John is a first century Christian pastor writing to a first century Christian church using first century images that they would have understood and been able to have grasped. That makes it a little bit challenging for us in the 21st century, but not altogether impossible. And those images that he's using are images, though they're first century realities, and they're not necessarily predicting 21st century issues. They do give us a picture that is understandable and we are able to connect them, right? So is there, was there great evil in John's day? Absolutely. Was it primarily represented in the government of Rome? Yes. Is there a correlation for us today? Yes. Are governments still evil? Yes. Do they still oppress the people of God? Yes. So there, there is a tie in. There is a correlation that helps us understand this book and allows it to speak into our situation even today. And so that is, that is a, if you will, it's a tool for you to not forget, right? Not forget John is writing to the first century church. Always kind of keep that in the forefront of your mind as you work your way through. And we will readjust as we see what John is telling us. In the book, what does all of that do for us? What, how does that um, help us? It helps us in this sense, right? Those two things. First, as we go through the book, we have something to hold on to. Those are those are practical. You know, John is beginning this book; he's introducing this book to us. And he is giving to us the center of the book, and he is giving to us uh, the context of the book. And that's very important for us as we work our way through it. For us today, don't forget the centering image of it all, and that is the Lamb who was slain. If you miss that, if you get wrapped up in the images, if you get wrapped up in the bowls of wrath, if you get wrapped up in the horses and the riders and you forget that the book was intended to bring you back to the center of it all, then then you're missing the point. And we don't want to miss the point that we have a faithful Savior, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead who paid for our sin and has made us a kingdom of priests to serve God in the land in which we live. That is the centering portion of the book. Don't forget it as we work our way into it. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to read and to listen, to think about your word and all that you have done for us. Father, you are good to us in doing that, and we want to praise You and we want to thank You. And Father, I pray that as uh, we work our way into this week, out into the world, that we'll remember that we are a kingdom of priests to bring glory and honor to You, our great God. In Jesus' name, Amen.